0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to El Valle Bajo podcast. This is our fifth episode here. Uh, We have a great show planned for you today. We got Mr. Emil Chaparro, uh, Socorro, born and bred, a fellow educator. Uh, He is here to tell us about the Socorro Initiative uh, that I heard, uh, that we talked about, uh, I believe, in one of the uh, city council meetings that we we attended, and so we he got we got invited. We invited him to come on, Mr. Shabana. How are you, sir?
1: I'm all right. How are you?
0: Good, good. Thank you. I, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, this is something that I we were at the city council meeting. Uh, the rest of the pack that usually here, uh, and we were very excited, and I was especially excited. I don't think everybody everybody was excited as I was, but the Socorro Initiative. Um, it talks about health and wellness, arts and culture, and history. Those are, I guess, your three pillars that are very interesting to me. And, and the, the presentation that was given is so well done. Can you tell me more about the Socorro Initiative?
1: Sure. Uh, so the City of Socorro Community Initiative is a new nonprofit uh, here in the city of Socorro, uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't really know about it yet. So it's uh, really great that you were able to hear about it at the city council meeting. So this nonprofit actually does work independently of the city of Socorro. Okay. So, uh, like you said, we're all about um, the arts and culture, uh, wellness and health, and um, historic preservation. So these um, these are sort of uh, the major parts of in Socorro that we feel we really need to promote and see what we can do on our end outside of, you know, the municipal government to help develop our community, essentially.
0: That is really cool. I saw a uh... One of the, that, something that stood out to me was the running trails uh, uh, um, and that was something my wife's a runner I used to be a runner a long time ago uh, but my wife still runs half marathons marathons so we always have to travel and that's something that I, I hope we can change here in Socorro because we have so much culture and, and if you guys bring those, those, those uh, trails that's something that could blow things out of the water and just change culture overall and health
1: Yes, um, it, you're right. We shouldn't have to have our community members leaving Socorro in order to take advantage of some of those quality of life things that we are seeing in other communities. And we are seeing a lot of this in the city, uh, in El Paso, I should say. Right. Um, um, we are sort of seeing that if you build it, they will come in these other places. So I know that the city of El Paso has done a lot to promote hiking in the desert and mountain trails, but also bike trails throughout the city. So it's great that we're able to use some of the assets we have here in order to get our people moving and involved in some health and wellness. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you did hear about the trails because that's something that um, we're looking into as a, a project and getting funding for is to get people moving using some of the space that we have here.
0: Right, right. Now, when you talk about funding, you're a nonprofit, you're not uh, with the city of Coral per se, but how do you get funding? Do you fundraise? How are you looking for funding? I know uh, there's grant stuff available. How? How? What is your lo- uh, your long term?
1: Well, you said the magic word, grants. Yeah, um, <laughs> and we work very closely with the city's uh, grant manager, uh, okay. Alejandra. Um, so she actually is an officer of our board. And a lot of what we do is um, basically as a board member, I'm just, you know, here to say, yeah, that sounds great. Let's, right. let's get after that grant. Um, but that's what we do is we look for grants that um, complement um, these pillars, as you said, of the historic preservation, health, uh, health and wellness and um, arts and culture. And we see what grants we're eligible for as a nonprofit seeking to um, fund programs that'll benefit the citizens right here in the city of Socorro.
0: Right, and and you know in El Paso overall, it's eighty five percent Hispanic. I'm guessing in Socorro, it's ninety five percent Hispanic. And right now with the pandemic, uh, we all have the underlining most of us have the underlying uh, health conditions. And I think this is very important because I myself lost 30 pounds during the pandemic because I was so afraid of, mm-hmm. of anything happening. And and you and I as educators know that if we have to qu- work close contact with our students and 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 things kind of gonna happen. So uh, I believe that we really have to push this. I think this is gonna be, should be top agenda above a lot of things because our community needs it. But and if you built it, they will come, and and that's this is great. This is great. Now, we talked about your funding. Uh, what are your initial goals to start off right now? What what do you really want to do in the next six months to the year? What what, what do you guys really want to do?
1: Well, this is a very timely question um, since we are a pretty much new board. We we've only been around for I think um, actually the presentation that you saw I think was our our first annual report to the city. Wow. Uh, so we've only been around for a year. And of course, most of that has been during the pandemic. So it has been uh, a process getting our goals and stuff figured out, but we actually are right in the process of figuring out some concrete goals. And so the hiking trails that you mentioned is one and uh, what that is specifically, I guess, so that people have more of an idea of what it is that we're looking into um, is um, using some of our assets here. So we see a lot of people in the city running and walking along the canals.
0: Right, right. And And those go ahead. mm,
1: So we do have a couple of those sites um, that we're looking at in sort of developing into being a little bit more aesthetically pleasing, but safe. And um, since we have those spaces here already, the, um, I guess, more specifically the levees the canals, not actually inside of them, but those are excellent places that people have been using for years that we can capitalize on since the space is there. And our role then would be to um, use, that space in order to create areas for people to walk comfortably and safely and um to find the funding to do that
0: right and and I'll, I'll tell you something when i was in city council this was what this was something i wanted and that's why um i i actually when i was a city council uh the previous grant writer i had told to look into corpus christi because they had a walking a walking program for their community which is also uh mm-hmm. largely hispanic um, and that's where, where uh, we get our health benefits. That's where we, we help the community decrease um, the health needs from our hospitals and, you know, things like that. So, you know, and I'll be very honest with you. Uh, my wife runs around here. There isn't a lot of places to run and I don't let her run in the levees because the levees are a little bit freaky sometimes, mm-hmm. but you know, it, uh, her brother lives in Tempe or around that area. Huh? And when we went to Tempe, they have lights, and they're the same exact levees we have here. They have the lights. They, people are walking on them like crazy, but it's a safety issue that everybody's concerned about. And and I try to take a walk, and I saw some some strange things. I said, "Let's turn around, let's go back." But th- if those levees, and we've run on those levees, and I can tell you from my house to get, uh, to Joe Battle is three and a half miles so seven miles, and and the levees go all the way to Clint that we can so we can have so much stuff to do and we can joint work with the surrounding communities and those are that's a jewel about living in the in the area surrounding areas of El Paso that we have so much more to give and I know um I must I was a cyclist as well and I know North Loop goes a long way as well and there's Mm -hmm. and things like that so that's that's great how did you get involved in this I'm sorry um <laughs> so, um,
1: yeah, uh, I am kind of involved in a lot of historic preservation stuff here in the county. So I'm actually a, uh, a commissioner on the El Paso County Historical Commission as well. Very nice. Um, yeah, so- Oh man. very cool. Uh, the My role in that has been to chair a committee that is devoted specifically to Mission Trail Development. So I'm chairing the Mission Trail Development Special Committee through the uh, El Paso County Historical Commission. And um, through there, I've been able to uh, I guess network with more people interested in this area that we call the Mission Trail Isleta Socorro San Elisario. And, um, so from there, uh, I actually got, uh, through one of the commissioners there an email when the city was looking for people who were interested in volunteering for this board. So I applied after I read that since I live here in Socorro and, right. um, one of the things that's near and dear to my heart actually is historic preservation so uh that's another goal that we have been working on a lot so um my as you said i've uh, i'm originally from Socorro, yeah. so my family has been here for generations right. um and so we grew up uh not far from the mission and so it's it's uh, it's great to be able to be involved in the historic preservation part of it as well. So we've got the health and wellness that we talked about, and we've also got historic preservation, which means that the community initiative has the opportunity to work alongside with the county and with the city in order to identify places here in Socorro that mean something to all of us here, those historic places that are part of our identity. And what can we do to help preserve them, but also promote them and, teach ourselves and teach our generations and teach our visitors about our history
0: and and that and that's great because you know I told you I'm an an adopted son of Socorro Mm -hmm. and and those are things that I I love to hear I know I love history as well I think in another life I was a history teacher uh because no it's just I love history ask my wife and, and and she's like how do you know so much it's just you pay attention but You know, those are things that I I look at and I love the history. You know, one of the things that uh, Mr. Uh, Victor Perez, I don't know if you know Mr. Victor Perez on city council. I do. Yeah, Mr. Victor Perez, when he was on council, I told him, did you ever see the Bad News Bears? You know, a lot of people don't know that Socorro comes out in the Bad News Bears uh, going on their way to Houston. And and, and it's, uh, yeah, and it's really cool because they play in front of the mission Uh, I think it was right before they they started making a, I'm not sure it was before. Oh, it was right next to the cemetery. And the Bad News Bears and then the kids from Socorro beat them up, beat them up in baseball. Okay, so these guys are going to 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 the United States Championship and the kids from Socorro beat up on the Bad News Bears, which, you know, Socorro for its history is very good in baseball. And you know I hated playing them in high school because it was just like oh man just let it get it done because these guys hit hard they throw hard and they do all that stuff but that's another topic so <laughs> that is, you know that's really cool I think I think those are things that um, we don't I don't think enough cultures appreciate it and not just to say in Socorro but everywhere in El Paso you know those are things that are, that is, makes it very hard I think those are things that that we need to take uh, and show people and you know the missions are over hundred years old. And those are things. They're
1: even older than that. They're, they're
0: older than that. <laughs> yep. And they're not, and they're not appreciated enough to where, you know, people come in and see them and only the people that love history. But I think if you to learn history, you would appreciate more where you live and what you do in this area. And I know I live in the, in the newer section of Socorro. So that makes it a little, a little, a little uh, difficult to, to appreciate the big part but as you drive more it does become that's i lived in alpine i went to college for the first couple of years in alpine so nice. the city culture you know it's that little Me. culture and you just need to drive 10 miles down and we got rincón dairy we got all that good stuff sanelli and it's just the right. culture it's great above itself. now i asked you what your initial goals were what are your ambitious goals what is the you know if if you want it what what do you want to do? What do you and the board want for this Socorro initiative?
1: Well, I guess I should start that by saying we were able to do within our first year, a survey of community members to help us figure out what it is that the community would really like us to focus on. And that's something that we intend to do in the long term is continue to get feedback from the community. Because, you know, there's only a few of us who are on the board, but it can't be all of our decisions. It has to be the people here in Socorro. Um, And so we did this survey and a lot of the responses that we got were people said, well, we need to um, uh, promote the things that we have. And a lot of the responses in there were, well, what do you really like about Socorro? Like, what is, you know, what keeps you here? And a lot of people said that the history, the culture, the open spaces. And so that helped us focus a little bit more uh, our goals. And so we've got some pretty big ideas, too. Um, but a lot of our ideas are um, still being developed, but I guess just okay. to throw some some conversation okay. out that we've been having is uh, promoting the arts and the culture by you know, seeing if it's possible to bring, technology based uh, experiences here in Socorro. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like one example of that is like the the digital wall that they have at the History Museum in El Paso. Like that's, you know, bringing history into people's hands using technology. So that's something that we're looking into, what sort of projects we can do uh, that are technology based. Um, One, because it appeals to a broad amount of people now, since we all have technology in our pockets. Uh, but also during this time specifically that we can't really interact with people, you know, on a personal basis because of the pandemic. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of things, I guess, that affect our decisions. But, you know, we, we, we talk about, like, wouldn't it be great if you know, we could go to the park and, um, you know, there's events happening there that are culture based. And there's experiences for community members to walk from one place to another and experience two different types of things going on. Or like if you're walking along a now new improved trail on one of the canals here that you're looking at some beautiful art all along the way there. So, yeah. So these are, these are the ideas here is to see what we can um, collaborate with other agencies about and uh, see if, you know, we can bring all of our goals together and bring some art, some history and some wellness all together in events and in places.
0: Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. And that look, that's very ambitious. And, and those are things that, that people at Socorro have to be is, is actually look to go get more because, You know, there's a lot of people here that that just don't, I think, appreciate everything that we do have around us, and those are things that we want to make sure that everybody knows. Um, And it sucks, you know, it really does. Where it's in the, you see it in the city council meeting, but there's nowhere another outlet where you can see that at, and we should as a quorum, because everybody says, and this is El Paso. There's nothing to do here. Well, there's a ton to do here. There is a ton to do here. I was gonna ask you something. Now, I I told I was gonna ask you something else. Hopefully, it comes back to me later. But I wrote sure. this down. What do we not know about Socorro history?
1: Oh, there's so much.
0: Right, I, so, I knew you would tell yeah. me something.
1: <laughs> so, um, I actually got into history and historic preservation. I used to be an archaeologist uh, okay. after I got out of school. So, um, archaeology is very much all about what don't we know, because we have to go and dig it up. Right. So there is a lot that we don't know about Socorro history. And in my work with the Historical Commission and the Mission Trail Development Special Committee, we find those holes in the history. So one thing that I think is just so important that we need to try and figure out is our mission. So the, the Socorro mission that we have now is actually probably the third building that was built as the Socorro mission. So the one we have, the one that's uh, standing right now on Nevada and Socorro down there right. uh, is not the original one. Really? It's probably not even the second one. We do know that the, the site before this one was on, um, there's a historical marker there on Nicholas, Nicholas and Buford Road. There's a field there and that's where the mission was before this one was built. And it was washed away by a flood in 1829. Wow. Yeah. But even before that mission, the one that was washed away, and it's now a a site, and there's a marker there. People can go and see it on Nicholas Road. Uh, But even before that, there was another one that got washed away in, I think, 1744. So we don't know where that one was exactly. And in 1680, when the Spanish and the Beatles first came to Socorro, we know that they uh, had a temporary structure that was dedicated on October 13th, but we don't know where that one was either. So there's, wow. yeah, there's still so much more to learn about our history, especially the origins of our community. There's, I mean, we know kind of the, the narrative from the Spaniards uh, writing reports and from the priests who worked here in those early centuries of Socorro. But, you know, as far as saying, oh, look, this, you know, is an artifact from the first mission. We don't have it.
0: Wow! Wow, so we don't, we might not know something that happened years before this mission was built. Right?
1: Uh, we know, like we know that there was a community here. We know that they came in 1680 after the Pueblo Revolt. But as far as uh, like pinning down exactly where the the mission was and all that, we We don't know. We haven't found any of that yet. We know of the two sites, the current one and then the the former site that got washed away in 1829 and that's kind of where we are, but there's still a lot to learn and actually there is a lot of interest in our history here throughout the state of Texas. Um, In the 1980s the archaeological site was excavated and a lot of those artifacts are now scattered throughout Texas and have been the subject of dissertations and theses and museum exhibits um, from here in El Paso all the way to Houston.
0: Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Man, yeah. that is super awesome. I love history, I mean, I history. like
1: hearing that because I teach history, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: um, you know um, I do support facilitation, so. Uh, it's it's not until the end after start where I can actually go into the history classes because you know you're always getting ready for the start and you know it's it's hard until after when you're done with it then you can you know hey let's go to the the non reading and non math classes now right. how how by any chance and we talked about this do you get help by the surrounding areas like Sanelli Clint or is there any collaboration?
1: Yes, um, so actually our board members are all pretty well connected with other agencies and uh, other um, nonprofits. So um, we, we have identified uh, our ability to be able to work with other places. So like through me and my historical interests, um, we have uh, started uh, collaborating on some goals with the El Paso County Historical Commission through the Mission Trail Development Committee. Um, so that's one part of it. Uh, we do have a member who is very interested in health. Uh, she works at a, a health clinic. So, um, we've talked about reaching out to, um, uh, her, uh, I, I think it's San Vicente and also with the uh, Paso Norte Health Foundation, there's some opportunity there for collaboration. So, um, since we are kind of in our early stages, we are still looking at, um, seeing how we can reach out to other agencies who we can reach out to and, um, see how they can um help us towards our grant proposals and applications
0: very cool very cool i mean that i just i'm flabbergasted this is something that is very needed here in, the, in our area okay so i don't know if it's the last question but it's one of the last ones talk about the first thanksgiving was it really in san nelly <laughs>
1: um you know, I, I've wondered that exactly, because I feel like we don't know precisely where that is either, because the river has, of course, changed right. its position. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know enough of that story myself to be able to say yes or no. Or I mean, right. I, I honestly don't, don't really know too much about it. Uh, I mean, I, I know the story of that first Thanksgiving, April 30th, 1598 and all that. But as far as like where exactly did Juan Leon there, take that step, I I don't really know for sure. I maybe I need to go and, and do some more reading about that.
0: No, I think I think those are that's just information that you know I've always wondered. Um, I'm very into, you know, hey, if we did it, you know, give it to us. And then there's so much more history and there's so much more in books, and it's Kind of the area we're at now, and and the kind of policies we have now in the United States, mm. the political stuff about it. Yeah, like, yeah, it's it's very different now. But I think uh, sometimes when you get into the like the sixteen nineteen project, you know, mm. I think that's something that that is very interesting, and and I, I believe you know, and and like the, the placeros here in El Paso. Yes, now with our immigration, you know, it's it's just you know, I. Uh, you know, you don't have to answer, but I just think race is so much involved in what we do and what we don't do every day and to where we are right now. So those are things that, uh, you know, my grandmother was a U.S. citizen, but grew up in Mexico. And and that's just, to me, it's just crazy because, you know, she was here because her, they were picking Chile or picking cotton or whatever it was at the time. So I think there's so much history and that's how we know about us and know about the area, especially in our area, and Mm -hmm. something like the Bracero project. Can you tell us about the Bracero project for people that don't know?
1: Um, So I actually don't know too much about it um, because I focus so much on Mission Trail, but the Bracero program here in Socorro is centered around the Rio Vista farm. Right. Um, So we actually, um, the, the city, has recognized that site as being extremely significant to the history of this, of, um, of Socorro. And so there is actually um, in the process of getting federal recognition for that site as a historically significant site. Uh, the Bracero Program, um, I, I don't know too much about the program itself, unfortunately, but I do know that the Rio Vista Farm was kind of like the epicenter for it here in our area
0: Wow. Yeah. So I would like to apologize just because he knows history. I'm not asking him all these questions. That's not <laughs> fair. <laughs> okay. It's like asking a doctor about a million things, but you know, this is a great project. I am so happy. We have something like this at Socorro. Um, I would like to have you on again, whenever you guys like, if you have an announcement, things like that, because um, I believe the health and wellness arts and culture and the history uh could actually um be something that to be proud of here in Socorro, and I'll be honest with you, uh, living here, it's not always the, the people don't always know what we've been through to be here. I've been here 13 years now. Uh, I'm raising my daughter here. So I want to make sure that she has a great city and, and she's a great city already, but even a better city. And I know you've seen it grow. So, um, you know, those are things that I want to make sure we, we get that going. Is there any, any last word or any other information you want to give out?
1: So, because we are uh, kind of starting out, uh, we will soon have a a website that people can go to. So, eventually, you'll be able to Google the community and city of Socorro community initiative and and find us. And so, we will be having some more um, information for the community to. find out what projects we're working on, who we are on the board, uh, what our interests are specifically and our t- connection to the community. So um, I would just encourage the people of Socorro to keep, um, keep uh, I guess, looking for that information and uh, understand that you know we're, we're kind of just starting out and we're looking to do some wonderful things and we're looking to com- uh, collaborate with the community so uh any thoughts ideas that people have we would really love to hear
0: them awesome awesome just to recap this is uh mr emil chaparro he is one of the board members for the socorro initiative here in socorro texas it's folk. it has three pillars of health and wellness arts and culture and history which is uh i believe much needed here in socorro and and you know has a lot of history here in socorro things have things are not boring as people think, but it, it's great to be here. It's great to uh, get this uh, initiative here. I think it's it's something we need, especially. So I did check out your website. Your website is the SecorInitiative.org. It's not 100% up yet, but it's there. That's how I got the information and reached out to them. And please, if you have any questions, call them, um, whatever you get a hold of. They're willing to talk, they're willing to, to tell you just like he did today. Mr. Chaparro, I appreciate your time. It was awesome, I love history. We uh, we talked about more than, than just the Secor Initiative, which is really cool. And like I tell you, you're more than welcome to stay or to chime in on the stories we're gonna talk about right now, or you can go. Thank you so much, sir, I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Maybe yes. we can chat history sometime again. Oh,
0: You know what? I'm gonna call you back and we're gonna to have to talk history. Rick. Absolutely. All right. All right. So now, guys, thanks a lot. Let's move on. Bye-bye. Take care, sir. Uh, we're moving on to uh, other news here in Socorro, our second part of the podcast. So we're going back to something called uh, that happened a year ago already. And, and um, it's something that that we're looking into still where audit, and this comes from Channel News Channel 9, an audit reveals graduation issues, most coming from Socorro High School. Uh, please do not forget about this story. Uh, this is this is something even one child is 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 too much to be to have a situation like they had at Bowie High School years ago. And records show that 29 students in question who have graduated from eight different schools in the district. 21 of them from Socorro High School. So what it's saying here is that 21 students didn't have enough credits or the proper paperwork to graduate. Why, how could that happen? Where are we? It's almost a year later because we were in an uproar last year at this time getting ready for this because what's going on? I know the pandemic hit, it blew it all under under the under the rug. And those are things that we cannot forget about. The audit revealed that 29 students graduated without fulfilling all graduate uh, requirements. The the audit initially found 276 discrepancies. However, only 29 of those did not meet graduation requirements. Now, what what's and and then I'm gonna tell you something that that Kind of gets to me. We sell. This is coming from uh, Superintendent Espinosa from SISD. We self-reported less than one percent. Well, sir, not one is too much. One is way too much. Uh, one student. What's going to happen to them? Because sometimes that's all we have is an education. What is going to happen? Are you going to pay for his college? Are you going to pay for his GED? or her, what's gonna happen, okay? So the, so Dr. Espinoza is making it seem like it's only 1%. Well, the thing is, it's just like the COVID. 400,000 out of 300 million people have passed away, okay? That's not to be taken lightly and education is not to be taken lightly. This is a story that uh, we shouldn't forget. And I'm telling you right now, we should not forget. Uh, Espinosa stated a year ago that additional counselors and credit clerk were added to all campuses to avoid mistakes in the future. You know, why are they added after the mistake? What, can we have an audit of years before? Because this is the only time they caught it. You know, there's more kids than that. And the one thing that, that gets to me is the Socorro kids. Our community isn't very wealthy. Our community isn't uh, high income. Sometimes that's all you got is an education. And sometimes that's all you work for is to get out of the situation you're in. So we shouldn't be taking this lightly. And that was a year ago. That was a year ago. And I don't know where we're at now. Did, those, did they add the additional counselor? Were the clerks at it? Just for graduation, per se, Okay, Just for graduation. So here it says also um, he takes ownership for what happened, which he should. But what has happened since? And just because you self-reported doesn't mean anything. You know, what did you do? Why was it done? And why is it over 200 students? And please don't say it's less than 1% because 1% means a lot to those people, to those 200 students, okay? So that's that. And that's a story that I'll be bringing back because that's just not fair. You know, when, if UTip picks up, EPCC picks up that they don't have the right credits, what happens then? It's just like going to a charter school. Charter schools don't let you graduate if you don't have what they want or you don't get accepted to the college they want. Okay, we'll talk about them later. Now, uh, there's something else here that we, we found and is going on with COVID. Uh, SISD partnered with Immunize El Paso and announced on Friday that it will partner with the Independent School District to spend COVID-19 vaccine efforts. Now, that is great. That is great. They're gonna use the, the police by the sack the, the building for the police by the SAC, and they're gonna have drive-throughs, and, and Dr. Espinosa said, Uh, He tweeted, proud to share exciting news regarding Team ISD's expand partnership with Immunize El Paso to have access to COVID vaccines for our employees and communities. But the one thing it doesn't tell you is that teachers are not jumping ahead of the line. You're not, you're not, if you're not 1A or 1B, you're not going to get it. So what it eventually tells us is that teachers, wait, Wait your turn. Our properties being used Our properties being used for to give COVID to everybody else? And that's fine. If you qualify, I got my first shot. If you qualify, if you qualify for your vaccine, go get it. My only issue is that teachers in Socorro are not first in line. Teachers in Socorro are not the first people to get it because they're using your, your facilities. Your tax dollars are paying for other people to get shots. And that's not bad. It's just bad that Socorro teachers are not first in line. That's what's bad. If they're using your facilities, then I should I would be, then my teachers get vaccinated first because, yes, we're going to go back February 1st no matter what happens. Superintendents did not ask for an extension like they did in Laredo. Laredo did ask for an extension and they got it February 1st to the 16th and they're being home. They're home remote learning because it's not safe. And I don't know what, what's going on here in El Paso, but for the last two days, we had over 600 cases. And somehow the rate's still under 20, which I don't I don't understand. So he goes on and says the initial drive location will handle second shot. So Wait, 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 wait. Second shots. They're not giving out first shots. They're only giving out second shots. So not everybody gets a shot. Um, And you have to receive the Moderna. Eventually, the location will offer first doses when supplies become available. So what's happening here is that Dr. Espinosa is looking for good press right now after we reported last week that he had a tantrum and that's happening right now because teachers don't get excited you're not getting the shot if you don't are not in 1A or 1B what the stipulation should have been is that my teachers get the shot first and then I'll let you use my facilities okay so that's you got to be attention to details because i can tell you hey of uh, parking for free but across the street or any other dumb example I can think of but here is where Socorro is using the police the police uh, area for drive through which will displace our off Socorro ISD officers and they get to use it but not for teachers okay because right now El paso to to Socorro, they're all hubs for for vaccinations, and everybody can have that. You're a hub, but you don't have the vaccinations. The stipulation should have been so: coral teachers first, and then everybody else. And let me let's talk about that. Um, Torneo ISD, okay. Uh, Ms. Vega at so uh, at Torneo ISD, the superintendent got eighty eight. of the teachers and staff vaccinated. I'm guessing five, 7% didn't want it for whatever reason, or they couldn't have it. So you're telling me that the smallest district in Texas or in our El Paso County was able to get 88% of their teachers vaccinated how did that happen? What strings did she pull? And it doesn't matter. She got it done. That's leadership. When you can get that done, and you vaccinate 88% of your teachers, you're doing something right, and you care about your teachers. So look out for Tornillo ISD, man. That's That's really awesome. So let's move on. Uh, for Texas 23 congressmen, uh, Tony Gonzalez, we're on the show. We're still working to get him back. Now, uh, you know, when you get to Congress, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's hectic, but after January 6th, it's even more hectic. So, uh, I got the story from people. Rep. Tony Gonzalez, a Navy vet says the insurrection reminded, reminded me of a time in combat. So the, The insurrection reminded of him in combat. Our our mantle of democracy was attacked. Tony Gonzalez, I talked to him. I've seen him. We've talked here and there. He's a buddy. He felt like it was like he was in war. And, and And what he says is that you either fight or you run. And, and those are things that, that come on, for a, a vet, I'm not a vet. I'm not even, I'm a teacher and that's it. I can't imagine myself in combat. But I'm thinking it's the scariest thing that anybody can go through. And he's comparing it to combat. So the story goes on. When the mob was pounding on the door to the house chambers Wednesday, Rep. Tony Gonzalez Felt he was back in the war zone, says a 20-year naval combat veteran. It reminded me very much of the time in combat, says Gonzalez, a retired master chief who served in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. You either fight or you run. This is the United States of America. Okay? It's Washington, D.C. It's not, you know, Chicago. It's not uh, El Paso, it's not anywhere else where you can find where you walk into the wrong neighborhood or anything like that. It's Washington, D.C., where there's protection everywhere because and there's everything because it's Washington, D.C., our government's there. And he's and he's saying that it reminds him of Iran, and Afghanistan, and he, and he's using the ling- uh, the language of you either fight or you run. Okay, when I was growing up, there was a lot of drive-bys where I lived. I can remember me, my brother and my sister were, oh, why is that car slowing down? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You look out and there you go. And it happened, I was in one, one, in one once and it was scary. And those are things that i never forget and I never wanna relive. How is it when you get, you, you spend a year, uh, you spend a year running for a position in Congress and you're comparing it to war. There's something broken in the system there. As members of Congress were evacuated, he decided to stay behind and fight alongside fellow res- uh, freshman Republican congressman from Texas, Ronnie Jackson, Tori Nels, and Pat Fallon, and Gonzales' friend, Rep, Tony Mark Mullen of Oklahoma. We just looked at each other and were like, I'm with you. However this goes, I'm with you. OK, uh, I remember. Um, Escobar in that video, and she was afraid. So when somebody says, "We're," I'm with you no matter what, I'm with you. And I remind you, I'm not a, a combat veteran uh, or anything like that. But if I'm telling somebody I'm with you no matter what, that means that, hey, this can go all right. This can go sour, okay? This can go sour and we're here uh, fighting, fighting, with the Capitol Police, guns drawn, things like that. And, and and I don't know, it's it's crazy talk where in the United States, we're talking about people taking over the Capitol. I mean, White House down, you know, things like that. And the five congressmen helped Capitol Police pile furniture in front of the door, then armed themselves with makeshift weapons. Makeshift weapons. No matter what happens, this is going down. The mob was going to come in and they were looking to talk, Gonzalez said. You could hear the stampede. They were going to talk. They were, they, you know and you heard, if you don't hear the news, they called for uh, Mike Pence being hanged. Where's Nancy? Where's AOC? Where are all those people? You know, I don't think we can grasp the, the gravity of what happened that day. Um, and and to remind you that Mr. Gonzalez is a Republican, and and he had to fight this off. Okay, and and they were looking for Mike Pence as well. So it goes on to say, you know, um, if it wouldn't if we hadn't stopped them, I firmly believe that we you would have been the same scenes that we saw in the Senate chambers and the House chambers. Gonzalez said, and I'm really proud that we didn't see that. When Congress returned to the floor, fell in, fell in, uh, Nels, Fallon, Jackson, and Mullen voted in favor of challenges and results in Arizona. So there's an insurrection, and these Republicans, uh, senators or congressmen, still vote against the results. And, you know, I tell you, it's it's neither here or there, but uh, however, it says, Gonzalez did not vote in favor of the challenges. And... I follow Tony. I know Tony. We talked a lot, but you know, he, I tell you this much. I like him a lot. And I'll tell you this much right now. I have a lot of friends that don't think like me. I have a lot of friends that, that are independent Republicans, whatever you want. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about who you are as a character and a person. So that's the story of Tony Gonzalez. He, he helped out in, in the in the insurrection and and that's something that is is very important for us in our community to know you know he fought he fought that uh, he fought in our country overseas and he fought in the middle east and he fought here in dc this should go i tell my daughter that she'll see this in the history books when when she gets uh when she gets older and that's something she lived and and i'm sorry because i'm so political she we watch the news all the time and and she will she'll know what happened at that time so our last story is about uh, Texas 75 that's our representative Mary Gonzalez and she wrote a great uh, commentary uh, along with Michael Lee and this commentary it's about um, the steep price charter schools by Texas the steep price of charter schools by Texas state rep Mary Gonzalez and Michael Lee. So Mary, we've interviewed her here before. She's a huge proponent for public uh, public schools. Um, we've talked about charter schools. She's she's you know those are things that. But it's going to tell you a lot more here about it. Um, in this commentary, lay out what amounts to a new reason why we should resist funding charter schools as a state, citing the the exportation of tax dollars to other states as consequences of proving Learn for Life and Doral schools, charter schools. So what they're talking about here is that the charter schools, Learn for Life and oral charter schools, the money doesn't stay in Texas. The money goes to California and the money goes to Florida. Okay. Those are things that that, that if you, even idea, I think idea comes out of Texas, but the, the, the biggest ones we have here, Idea and Harmony. Harmony is, is, I don't want to get into conspiracies, but... They're Turkish and or Turkish run, something like that. And uh, IDEA is the ones that's got floor seats at the Spurs and they get private planes. So when do you see teachers or cabinet members in private planes in public schools? You don't because I'll tell you, you'll see right now. Uh, so it goes on saying exporting tax dollars to another state removes those funds from the Texas economy, enriching other states at the, expense, at the expense of our own. That's something we should be reluctant to do at any time, much less in the middle of a global pandemic. And it's true. Why are we giving money to everybody but us? Okay. And we're giving money to California. We're giving money to Florida. And during the pandemic and, and you know, everybody's talking about they're going to cut public schools. Because public schools always get shafted. Uh, Parro was a public is a public school teacher. I'm a public school teacher. Uh, I just heard the podcast uh, Point of Order with Evan Smith. And the, the Commissioner of Education was on. And he said that education wasn't going to get a cut. But then another tweet comes out where uh, they're looking to cut in the Senate public education. So we have to be really concerned about this. Uh, So much less in the middle of a global pandemic, historic unemployment and economic recession. But this is nothing new. These are simply the most recent charter companies with out-of-state ties to approve and operate in Texas. And and the thing is that our friend Georgina Perez fights against charter schools on the State Board of Education. But then Mike Morales says, pass them. And, And that's what voting comes along. That's where voting is so important, because the people you vote in is what's happening. If you're a teacher or a public educator somewhere in Texas or in El Paso, you really have to see who you're voting for. Like this year, we got Joe Biden and we got Mr. Cardena. Cardena? No, I don't think it's Gardena, Our new board of uh, school board of uh, education secretary. And and those are things that, that we have to look at because Betsy DeVos gave money to charter schools as, as the PPP loans. Uh, La FED got over 300000 Uh, public schools got zero because the state has the money over 300 million dollars that can be dispersed to help schools i think it's more than that so we got to be really smart who you vote in because if you're voting uh, it doesn't matter if you're republican democrat independent what matters is what what do you do what's the future of your job if you keep voting governor abbott in and kim paxton in (coughs) Excuse me. Then that's what you're gonna get. You vote, and you get that because your job doesn't mean them doesn't make them money. It costs them money, and 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 that's the price we pay here in 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 the United States, where money rules all. Capitalism is 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 king of all. So um, that's where you gotta. When you get to the voting, that's where it's very important. <clears throat> A permanent solution, policy solution that would save at least. $882 million, almost a billion dollars that would go to traditional public schools is where charters receive the same per student funding as the districts where charters are located. So just like here in Socorro, okay, we have Idea Real Vista, okay, but they're paying them for kids that come from Clint, Tornillo, even Horizon, or wherever they come from, but they're taking money away from our kids at Sanchez at Socorro Middle, at Waco, at Rojas. Those are the, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you this much, I give Dr. Espinosa a big credit for the walks we used to have. Since the pandemic, there's no more walks. Where well, we walk to get kids back to SISD and surrounding public school districts, because that's where they should be. As a special education teacher, I do receive students from IDEA, why do the parents leave? Because they don't get accommodations. They get thrown in the classroom. They don't get one-on-one help, and that's true. And that's true. So if you're in a charter school, you need to reevaluate uh, the, the education for your kids and, and the real-world experiences that public schools has, OK? So that, it keeps going, and, and it's a great, great article. Uh, charter schools receive an average of $1,150 more per student compared to a traditional school district. They also receive COVID relief. The state has a public COVID relief. So what in the world? Are, why are they getting more? Because charter, and I'll tell you, uh, the Fosters' uh, creed gave $22 million to IDEA to come to a Paso. Why don't they give those twenty-two million to public schools? And and you know we should be doing we should we should be that's what you be doing. Okay, so why do they get more? And they don't give you more because guess what? They don't have athletics. Um, because it happens. What happens is that Title Nine kicks in. If they don't have enough boys and girls, then it has to become an after-school program, or they have to pay for things on their own or public schools you don't so you know that happens so going on uh we've all heard about the overlay complex accounting systems at the pentagon for to let that 400 four hundred dollar hammers and seven thousand dollar coffee makers well texas is the same thing akin to charter schools so they're going to charge you 50 dollars for one pencil Under current charter school financing scheme in Texas, now pay attention because this is how charter schools work. Under the current charter school funding scheme, okay, scheme. In Texas, charter schools receive an average of 1,150 more per student compared to the traditional school district in which charter schools are located. That's right. The state pays charter schools more to do the same job as your local school district. Why? And the teachers don't have to be certified. They don't have to be certified. They have a lot of turnover, a lot of turnover. It's not like me where I've been in my school for seven years. My wife's been at her school for almost 11. It's not like that. You little brothers and sisters know that they're going to get Mr. Garcia or Mrs. Garcia. That's the way that's what public schools are, are neighborhood schools where you know and you have a relationship. There were 296,127 students or 5% of all students enrolled in charter schools, according to a 2018 report from the TEA. That means the state paid more than $340 million for something traditional public schools are already doing. There's a two-way education system. One makes money, one doesn't. One teaches, one doesn't. That's, That's what's happening. Those funds would go a long way toward providing enhanced education services at traditional public schools. Each and every charter school resides in a fully operating traditional district. Those traditional school districts already do the same job as charter schools. They educate our children. The state hasn't set up a separate state. So the state has, this is important. That's why I'm rereading it. The state hasn't set up a separate state supported firefighting system to compete with an existing firefighting department. That would be absurd. And so is setting up a duplicative school systems. I'm not wearing my glasses. So if you don't have, it's like, okay, so I watched a show called Batwoman. It's really cool. You know, it's a new Batwoman, whatever. But so you have the Gotham police and then you have the crows. The crows is like an extra police. And then you got Gotham police or whatever city they're in. Why? nothing good can come of it and it doesn't. there's two dueling systems So you're telling me you're telling me that okay so idea says we're gonna send the kids to we're gonna send the kids to college well so do public schools but we guarantee let me tell you nobody guarantees anything and you shouldn't be guaranteeing something because if you don't get into a school they want, If you don't get to any school, then they don't let you graduate. And there's a lot of research on that. Our traditional school districts do a remarkable job of educating our children. Each time the state has raised the bar in the accountability system, traditional public schools have met the challenges and then some. And that's absolutely correct. Because that's what we get to a job to do. We We don't have a job, which the stories I've heard is where you, one day you're working at T-Mobile, the next day you're working at Idea. Okay, that's not what happens with teachers. Teachers actually go to school, get certified, and they go to the neighborhood school, and that's where they want to be. Okay, there isn't turnover. That's why it's called your neighborhood school because you know the teachers there. And like at the school I work with, it's like 15-year average of all the teachers that are there. I'm one of the youngest at seven. In addition, in addition, traditional school districts. I've led the way to adapting to new environment brought by the COVID that reinvented everything from how children interact with teachers, providing food for our children, and helping ensuring internet connectivity for students. Our traditional public schools are leading the way and they deserve the respect and thanks. Thank you, Ms. Mary Gonzalez and Mr. Lee. Recently, two out-of-state companies were approved to run charter schools in Texas. Lean Learn for Life charter school that has ties to California and Doral charter school that has ties to Florida. Once those charter schools are operational, they will see taxpayers' dollars from Texas. Learn for Life will send fifteen percent of its revenue to California. Doral will send will send seven hundred and fifty per student. Doral will send seven hundred and fifty dollars per student to Florida. One is giving fifteen percent, fifteen percent of the more than one thousand about three, dollars $4,000 per kid, and Doral setting $750 per kid. There would be an outrage if public schools did that. There would be an outrage. Outrage. There is no due process in charter schools. Don't get fooled because, oh, well, they told me this. It They promised you the world, but I promise you this. They're not getting your kids ready for the world because your kids need to be around all different kinds of students. Exporting your tax dollars to another state removes those funds from Texas economy, enriching other states at our expense. That's something we should be reluctant to do at any time, much less in the middle of a global pandemic. Historic unemployment and economic recession, but this is nothing new. These are simply the most recent charter school companies Without a state ties to it, approved to up op- that have been approved to operate <coughs> in Texas. Excuse me. Building and investing tax dollars in Duke in the du- 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 duplicative education system is concerning. Even the best times, given the economic environment and grim budget situation, and state focus, it threatens both the education system <coughs> that our kids need to learn and post. COVID world, and education our kids need in the future. State Rep. Mary Gonzalez is a member of the House Public Education Committee and the House Appropriations Committee and the Legislative Budget Board. Michael Lee is an Executive Director of the Texas Association of Rural Schools. I want to thank them both for this story. Um, this story uh, by was by Angela Valenzuela. And this is news that you don't get. A lot of. As a public education uh, teacher, you need to be really worried about charter schools because charter schools want your job. Just like I don't know if you heard about Amber back in the day, they wanted to do private, uh, private uh, companies to clean our schools. And guess why? Because it's cheaper. Ch- and t- teachers that teach at IDEA and any charter school around are cheaper than you are. So remember that you need to vote and you need to be informed about what's going on, especially with charter schools, because you don't want the Gotham police on one side and the crows on the other side. It doesn't work. And that's what's happening in the education system in Texas. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Eli Chaparro for coming in and talking about the Socorro Initiative. That is very cool. And history. We had a little history lesson as well. And uh, we'll be back next week. we got a very, very um, exciting show next week. It's not going to be political. I hope not. It's going to be pre-Super Bowl. we got a very special guest, Mr. Angel Torres, who I went to high school with and is a writer, sports writer at that. So I'll see you guys next week. That's a lot. Have a great So a great night. Watch what they do, not what they say. Take care. Bye-bye.